We'll be continuing our series here in the book of Daniel about the sovereignty of God. So the sovereignty of God will always be true, but it's how we interact with the sovereignty of God. And so this morning I, I want to read first from Hebrews, because our interaction with the sovereignty of God is going to be based on one thing. It's called faith. Do we have the faith that God is who God says He is and God will do what God says He will do? You see, the sovereignty of God says God's in control of all things. See, that, that's true regardless if you or I believe it. But it's how we interact with that will ultimately live we, how we live with that. Do we live with faith? This is what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says. Now faith is assurance of things to hope for and the conviction of things not seen. See, these three men this day in this story had that faith. They had no idea what was about to come. You see, you and I, we have the end of the story here in Daniel chapter 3. We, we know, spoiler alert, these three men are rescued from the fiery furnace. But that day and that moment, they didn't have that uh, knowledge. But they had the assurance of what their faith was based on, that God was in control regardless of what the outcome was. We'll see that. That's why the, the morning's message is titled, Either Way. Either way, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were going to praise God through life or through death. My question to us this morning is either way, will you and I praise God no matter the outcome? Because we have the faith of God's sovereignty that God's in control of all things. You see, faith is this. Faith is the obedience to God's sovereign commands, and faith is also trusting in God's sovereign will. So our faith rests on, do we believe in God's sovereign commands? You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego rested their faith and their hope that the command of God was this, do not worship any other idols. Worship no other gods but me. So they rested in that assurance And they put their faith in God's word that that was true. And then they also trusted in God's sovereign will. They trusted that God was going to do whatever God wanted to do, whether through life or death. And so for us this morning, is that true for us? You see, it's one thing to put our hope in Jesus Christ and our faith in Jesus Christ, but have we put our hope and our faith into God's sovereign will in our lives? Like, are we okay when things don't go okay? Because if we're not okay when things don't go okay, I I don't mean the grief process. I mean, do we throw a hissy fit when things don't go our way? That will show us what we believe to be true of the sovereignty of God. And that will show us, if you wanted to take a test this morning about your faith, if you throw a hissy fit when things don't go your way, you may not be trusting in the sovereign will of God. And so let's turn to Daniel chapter 3. We've got a lot to cover this morning, so I'll do my best to speed us along. We're going to look at a few things, so I'll teach, I'll read some and teach some and get our way through the end of the verse. So here it is, Daniel chapter 3. I'll read the first seven verses. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was six cubits, and its breadth six cubits, and he set six, 60 cubits in the breadth six cubits. 
He set it up on the plain of Dora in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar set to gather all the satraps, the perfectors, the, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had built. Then all these men came to the dedication of the image King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed out loud, You are commanded, O people of the nations, in the language that when you hear the sounds of the horns, the pipes, the lyre, the tragon, the, the harp, the bagpipes, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that the king Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be immediately cast in the fiery furnace. Therefore, as, as all the people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the tragon, the, the, the harp, the bagpipe, every kind of music, all the people of the nations and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image of the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so the first thing that we see in this passage is that King Nebuchadnezzar set up a statue in order to bring unity. Right? That's, that's what the passage is talking about. That here's King Nebuchadnezzar. He sets up this 90-foot statue. Is what most scholars say. That's a nine-story building. This 90-foot statue. And, and the plain of Dora, which is kind of interesting. Uh, the, the theologians, the historians say, this is the same spot where they built the Tower of Babel. So here's the same spot that centuries before a people came together for unity. Right? That's, that was what the king of uh, the Tower of Babel was about. To bring all the nations together so that all the nations could be together and to worship and never scatter, never do what God had told them to do. And here we go again. We're here at the same spot doing the same thing to build unity. Remember from two weeks ago, we talked about uh, what uh, the, the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. You remember the dream? The dream was, hey, there's going to be these, this huge, in the dream he saw this huge statue with the head of it being gold. And then Daniel said, hey, that statue, the head of it's gold, but hey, over, over time the kingdoms will come and go, the kingdoms will come and go, but there will be an ultimate king that will come and destroy every kingdom, God's kingdom. Well, here, just a few moments later, some say years later, King Nebuchadnezzar builds the exact statue that he saw in his dream other than he made it all gold. So he would say to himself, hey, all that, that God said is not going to happen because I'm going to be the only kingdom. There will be no other kingdoms that come and go. I will be the only kingdom. You see, and then he went on to say this. In the sense of unity, if you don't do what I tell you to do, you're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. This was not the first time that we see King Nebuchadnezzar throwing people into the fiery furnace. In Jeremiah 29, 22, he threw two other men into a fiery furnace for not doing the very thing, thing that we see that he calls all the people to do. So we may wonder, what, does he, what is he talking about in verse 8? Whoever does not fall and worship shall immediately be cast into a fiery furnace, the burning fiery furnace. The scholars say that the fiery furnace would reach about 1,000 degrees or 1,800 degrees 
Fahrenheit. That's pretty hot. And so he's saying to the people, you're going to come, and you're going to come to this place of unity, and if you don't come and be one with worshiping my God, me, then you're going to be killed for it. And now we pick up in the story. The accusation. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So here, the, the image, here's all these thousands and thousands of people. They play all these instruments all over the, the, the hillside, the, the kingdom. All these people fall down before this image. And yet, as you look over the horizons, there's three pillars still standing. Now, I don't think King Nebuchadnezzar saw it. I don't think where King Nebuchadnezzar was, I don't believe that he saw it. But these, these, this group of Chaldeans, remember the Chaldeans were the ones that wanted to, back in chapter 1 and chapter 2, are the ones that were angry because here comes the Israelites, the Jews, into this providence and they take over. Because of the faithfulness of God and the favor of God, these men are put over top of the Chaldeans. And so here's the opportunity for these Chaldeans to get revenge. It says this, they were maliciously accused. That word maliciously in uh, the original text literally means to eat to pieces, to chew them up. These were some angry Chaldeans. They were so angry with resentment against these three individuals, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were looking for every opportunity to take these three men and, and downgrade them, if you will. To take them out of the place of position of power over them, and so they maliciously attacked them. And this is how they attacked them. This is what they accused them of. It says, and whoever does not fall down and worship will be cast into the fiery furnace. This is what they say back to uh, the king. There are certain Jews, this is verse 12, certain Jews who you have appointed over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you set up. Here's the three accusations. They did not pay attention to the king. They gave no homage to the king. So that's the first accusation. Hey, these three guys that you set in place, they are totally disrespecting you. They, they give no thought to you. The second one is this. They do not serve or they do not worship the king's gods. You know, this king, King Nebuchadnezzar, was a, a polytheistic king. He believed in all the gods. So now these men, the Chaldeans, that are angry with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, hey, not only are they disrespecting you, but they're disrespecting all of your gods. So, so it's getting worse. So it's one thing to disrespect a man. It's another thing to disrespect gods. And then the last accusation is this. They will not even worship you or the gods. Right? That's what he says. They, they will not bow down and worship the golden image that you have set up. So they're disrespecting the king, they're disrespecting the gods, and they won't worship either one. So that's the accusation. And so then we see the fury of the king. So all of a sudden the king is there and these 
Chaldeans bring this accusation. It says this about Nebuchadnezzar. In a furious rage, he commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So here is the situation. Here's the story. Here's what's happening. These Chaldeans come to the king and say, Hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they won't worship you. And then in a furious rage, the king says, Well, bring him here. Like, they're going to do what I say. So bring them here. And so they brought these men before the king. In this furious rage, the king says, answered, and said to them, Is it true? O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? It's a rhetorical question. You see, it doesn't give them any opportunity to answer the question. It says, is it true? And then he says this. He gives them another chance. Is it true? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn... The pipe, the lyre, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music fall down and worship the image that I've made, and be it well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into the fiery furnace, and who and what God will deliver you out of this hand? You see, he sets them up. He gives them a second chance, if you will. But in the second chance, he says to them, hey, it's not really a second chance. It's not really a second chance to fall down and worship. And I wonder for us how many opportunities and how often is it that we stand firm for the first time and then the accusations come when we crumble. See, they were standing firm the first time. Okay, they took the stand in the, in the land, three guys standing up out of the thousands. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the pressure, if you will, no pun intended, the heat is turned up. And they're brought in before the king, and the king says, okay, you don't want to worship me, that's fine. But I'm going to give you another chance. Now you see the furnace over here, it's hot. And if you don't worship me, if you don't bow down, you don't fall before me, you're going to get tossed in there. And in that moment, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have gone into a lot of rationalization. Well, what if we just externally fell down and worshiped, but internally we still stood strong? God would understand all those things that you and I play in our minds. All those things. It's not that big of a deal. Like God said this, but maybe he didn't really mean it. I was thinking to myself this week how often I know the commands of God. Like they're pretty black and white. And yet so often in my life, I justify the sin. I minimize the sin. I've rationalized the sin. And yet these three young men, they held true to their convictions that God's word was always true. You see, they had the confidence that God had all the power and could do whatever they wanted to do. And here's what they said and did. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We, We have no need to justify ourselves. We have no need to stand up for ourselves. We have no need to give a defense for what we do or do not do. I wonder, do we have that same confidence? Maybe it looks like this for you. It often looks like this for me. Those accusations oftentimes don't come externally, they come internally. You know, that voice in your head, the tempter, if you will. There's no telling how many debates I've gotten in with the tempter. And I wonder if my response to all the times that Satan's come and brought me temptation, if my response was this, say, there's no need to answer you. There's no need to justify what I'm doing. There's no need to take a stand for what I'm doing. And I wonder if my answer could and would be this. We have no need to answer to this matter. Circle this in your Bible, these four words in verse 17. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able, circle the word able in your Bible, to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. If it be so, if God wants to do what God wants to do, then he'll do it. It's basically what they said. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18, probably one of my most favorite parts of this story. But if not, be it known to you that we will not serve gods or worship the golden image that you set up. They say this, either way, Nebuchadnezzar, either way, we're not going to bow down and worship any other god. God's able to do it. God has all the power to do it. You see, these three young Jewish boys, they knew the Old Testament. They, They knew all the miraculous things that God had done for God's people. They had heard of the Israelites being in exile and being taken into the promised land. They heard of all the times that the Red Sea had parted. That's a miracle. They'd seen all the miracles and heard all the miracles that God could do. I think rescuing three boys from a fire pales in comparison to splitting the Red Sea. They knew the power of God. But they also believed in God's sovereign will. And I wonder how often you and I find a great deal of discouragement because we believe in the power of God. God can do whatever God wants to do, amen? God can do whatever he wants to do. And what do we do when God doesn't do what we want him to do? You see, so often in my life, maybe in your life, we don't have the latter part of the verse. But if he doesn't do it, I'm okay too. You see, so often in my life, I get to that place, man, it looks like God needs to come through, God needs to come through, God needs to come through, and he doesn't come through. Anyone ever experienced that before? Or am I the only one in the building? 
Like, man, God, you got to come through. You got to come through. I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. God's going to come through. God's coming through and through. And at the end of it, I'm like, God is going to come through. And in the last moment, God doesn't come through. And how often I beat myself up over that. Oh, man, if I just had done this, if I just hadn't done this, if I just had prayed more, maybe if I had fasted, and I go to God in those moments like a vending machine. Anyone relate? I'll put in 50 prayers and I'll get X out of the box. Okay, I'll put in 500 prayers and I'll get you the top shelf of the vending machine. It's really going to happen. But then when it doesn't come through, then I either get angry at God or get angry at myself. I either blame God or blame myself. Anyone relate to that? But what do these three men do? They have the confidence that God is sovereign in control of everything. And even if God doesn't come through, they're going to be okay. You see, they don't know the rest of the story. They don't know in a few moments that when they don't bow down and they get thrown into the fiery furnace, that someone's going to be in their midst with them. They don't know that. They just have the confidence that God's word is true and that God is sovereign over all things. So if God wants to rescue them, he will. And if God wants to, to, to kill them, they will die. They had that confidence. But they stood strong to what the God's word said. Do not worship other gods. That, that was the whole hinging point for them. It wasn't about saving their life or not. Because if they wanted to save their life, they would have just bowed down and they would have asked for forgiveness. How many of us have done that? Well, God will forgive me. And he will. Well, that's not the point. The point is, do we hold strong to the conviction that God has placed in us with his word the way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did? And so they had the assurance, they had the faith that God would do whatever God wanted to do. Faith knows the power of God. No, our faith knows the power of God. Our faith guards the freedom of God. But our faith also holds the truth of God. Is that true for us? You see, true biblical faith, God-honoring faith says this, I know God is able to deliver me. And I have the confidence that God will deliver me. But I also submit that I'll be okay even if he doesn't do what I want him to do. Do we have that faith today, church? You see, it's what Job says. It's what Jared's saying. It's Job 13, 15. It says, "Though, though you slay me, I will hope in you. Though you take it all from me. This is Job talking here. Though you take it all from me. Though you slay me, I still have hope in you. Do I have that? Do you, church, have that? Then verse 19 says this. This it just infuriated King Nebuchadnezzar. He was filled with fury, and the expression on his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than it already was. And he ordered some of the mighty men in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and cast them into the fiery furnace. And so here it is. Here's the moment 
Man, here's, here's Nebuchadnezzar. He's so angry, his face changes. I'm sure Tennyson has seen that face once or twice. But man, this is like tenfold on that face. And he says to the strongest men in the army, hey, you bind them up so that there's no way they can get out. So the strongest men, they bind up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he says to them, go, throw them into the furnace. I think the irony of it here is this. These mighty men, they bound up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they cast them into the fiery furnace. And then the men who bound, uh, they were bound with their cloaks and their tunics and their hats and their other garments, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Because of the king's orders was so urgent, the furnace overheated, and the flame of the fire killed the men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here's the great irony of it. The men that went to kill Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego died themselves. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we'll see in a few moments, did not. Because they held true to their faith. Their faith that God's word was true. Their faith that no matter what happened, God was going to do what God wanted to do. Their faith that said we have the willingness to do whatever God puts in front of us. Another way to put it is what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 25. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sight will find it. Those three men that day in that moment when they got tossed into the fiery furnace, they found life. They found life. How do we know that? Because of the next passage of Scripture. They got thrown into the fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and arose in haste. And he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and it appears the fourth is like the son of the gods. Here's the beauty of this passage for me. Notice where God showed up. Notice where he showed up. He didn't show up moments before they got thrown into the fire. He didn't show up moments after they were dead. Where did Jesus, where did God show up? He showed up right in the middle of the fire. And I wonder for me, and I wonder for you, how often we don't allow God to take us all the way into the fire to see God show up with us. You see, the reality and the truth of this passage is we are never ever alone in the very middle of the fire where does the son of god show up with them with them and i've talked to a lot of people that that's where they really do experience god more than any other place you know see god wasn't outside the furnace with his hand waiting to pull them out of the furnace No, God said, I'll go in the furnace with you, and I will be with you in the furnace no matter what. And so often I believe this to be true in my own life. Maybe you believe it to be true in your life. I don't get to the furnace. I don't allow myself to get to the furnace. 
And therefore, I never really see God show up. Because if I don't get to the furnace, that means I've taken control. Once I take control, man, it never ends well. You see, that moment Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were bound. They could have said, okay, okay, man, okay, we get you're serious. We'll, we'll, we'll fall out and we'll worship. They said, no, no, toss us in. Toss us in. You remember, they still don't have the knowledge that Jesus is waiting for them in the fire. They don't have that knowledge. They, all they know is, hey, man, as soon as we hit, we're dead. It's going to happen instantaneously. It's not like they're going to chill out in there, not going to hang out in there. Hey, man, we just saw we're getting pushed in. Those dudes die. We're going to die too. And yet, they had the confidence that God would do whatever God wanted to do because he was sovereign in control of all things. I wonder if they held this to be true for them. Isaiah 43, 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. He doesn't say, I'll be waiting for you. I'll be waiting with you. And though the rivers shall overwhelm you, and when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. You see, the promise is this in this passage, in Isaiah 43. That God, no matter what happens, through all the trials, through all the tribulation, God is not waiting on the other side for you. God is not guiding you from the side of the bank. God is hand in hand walking with you and me through the fire, through the water. Do we believe that? Do we believe what Jesus said? He said about himself, I am Emmanuel, God with us. Not God just for us, not God before us, but God with us, Emmanuel. Do we believe this to be true? Romans chapter 8, 38 through 39. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation Will we be able to separate us from what? The love of God in Christ Jesus. Do we believe that, church? Do we believe that we're never alone? Because here's what happens when we believe that to be true. The results of faithfulness are this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace, and he declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of what? The Most High God. Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And all the people that were there, the perfectors, the governors, the king's counselors, gathered together, and they saw that what? The fire had not had any power over their bodies of these men. Their hairs on their heads were not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. There was not even a smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar answered, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel to deliver his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's commands and yielded up their bodies rather than to serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree, any people in the nation or languages that speak anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb to limb, and their houses lay in ruins. 
For there is no other God who is able to rescue it in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, the results of faithful there are this. I won't say that King Nebuchadnezzar knew Christ or came to know God that day because we'll see in the next chapter he did not. But the faithfulness of God will always give witness to the faithfulness of God. So the faithfulness that I have in God will always give witness to the faithfulness that God has over me. And people will take notice. This unbelieving king took notice of a faithful God. And so for me, the challenge is this. Do I live a faithful life in the, with the reality that God is sovereign and in control of all things? Here's what one writer says. God may not take persecution and pain away from us, but God will surely be with us in our suffering. The risen Lord himself encouraged the persecuted church in Smyrna. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Beware the devil is about to throw some of you into prison so that you may be tested. And for ten days you will be afflicted. Be faithful unto death. And what? I will give you the crown of life. You see, our faithfulness will always be rewarded. You see, here's the three things that we can walk away from this morning. With this knowledge... This is the same knowledge that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The question has to be for each one of us this morning. Do we know this to be true about the sovereignty of God? Do we know that God is sovereign over all things? Do we know that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that. The second thing is, do we know the Scriptures? You see, they knew the sovereignty of God because they knew the Scriptures. Maybe most of us don't know the sovereignty of God because we don't really know the Scriptures. And the last one is this. Because we know the sovereignty of God and because we know the Scriptures, are we willing to live our lives and die for our convictions that come out of the sovereignty of God and the knowledge of His Scriptures? You see, those three young men were. They literally laid their life on the line. King Nebuchadnezzar saw that. He said to the people that are around him, these young men were willing to give up their bodies for their convictions. Are you and I, church, do we believe in the sovereignty of God? Do we know the words of God? And are we willing to live our lives in such a way that we will die for what God's word says? Now, you see, church, we may not die physically, But maybe some of us in the room, we have to die to a promotion. Maybe some of us will have to die to a relationship. Maybe some of us will have to die in a lot of other ways than just our life. But are we willing to take the consequences that come with serving God faithfully? Because when you and I serve God faithfully, there will always be consequences from an unrepented world. The same way that those Chaldeans wanted to chew them up and spit them out. This world wants to chew you up, wants to chew me up and spit us out when we serve God with all of our heart. Are we willing to do that? Do we believe in the sovereignty of God and do we have the faith to walk with God all the days of our life through the conviction, through his word? Let us pray. God, you are a good God. You are a faithful God. We see from these three young men 
that they were willing to lose their life because of their convictions of what your word says. And yet, at the same time, God, they believed that you were sovereign in control of all of it. That either way, whether through life or through death, they would worship you and you alone. God, I pray that would be true in my own life. I pray that would be true in the lives of these people in here this morning. God, I pray for any of us this morning that maybe there are some places that we are worshiping and bowing down to that we know, God, are far from you. That is a sin for us to bow and worship the things we're worshiping. We're not living by our convictions. God, I pray this would be a moment of repentance for us. To be a moment of hope for us that we don't have to keep returning to the same old gods over and over and over again. I pray that you would give us great courage to live boldly for you in this world that wants to chew us up and spit us out. God, I pray if there's anyone in here this morning that doesn't know you as their Savior, that can't with great confidence, the same way that those three young men said, yes, we will serve and worship God and God alone, that today would be the day, God, that they would surrender their will and their life over to you. Because, God, it's only through that that we have any hope. God, you are faithful to us. You are sovereign in control over all things. I pray, God, that we would live our lives in total submission to your sovereignty and your faithfulness. And that when you call us to go, we'll go no matter what. That we'd be willing to lose our lives because of our convictions that come from the Word of God. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus.